Kirby Patrick. Look at this. What is this? He's out of his mind. Hatchet coming out. Oh! Gabrick right over top of Dom. What, what is, is he going to get a tripping penalty? What's he going to get? For me, I just want to play hockey, and that's my goal. Just go out, have fun, and play hockey. Hello, and welcome to the third episode of the Giants in the Crease podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy, again. And without further ado, let's jump into a lot of news that I've missed because I didn't do a podcast episode last week, but now I'm doing it this week, and the news is kind of piled up. So first we'll start with the Malcolm Subban injury and uh, where that leaves Vegas. So Malcolm Subban got injured, unfortunately, versus um, St. Louis. And... That leaves Vegas in a bit of a tight spot, which currently they're doing quite well in so far. But I mean, you know, small sample sizes and all of that. But, you know, Malcolm Subban was given the opportunity to kind of take the starting role because of the flurry injury. And he did quite well. I mean, small sample size, of course. But in his three starts, two of them were quality starts where he posted a point nine five five save percentage then a nine seven four save percentage and then of course the game against buffalo which was on quality start where he pulls an eight eight two so it, it was a good start for him i mean i don't think anyone can say you know oh now he's a starting goalie but it was a good start and that's what you want as a goalie i mean of course the end matters a lot but having a good start that helps you get rolling you know you start feeling confident in yourself you start believing if I do A and B the result will be C and I want C because C is good I don't want D I want C and Malcolm Subban was ending up with result number C which was quality play and giving his team the best chance he could possibly could to give them the win and they won all three games so you know results matter and that's where you want to be at. But now Vegas is kind of at this point where they now have to rely on two goalies in Oscar Dance and Maxime Legasse who haven't proven anything. I mean, it's, I mean, Legasse in his rookie year, it was decent, not great, but then last year it, just fell apart for him. I mean, he was the only goalie on the Texas Stars who had a bad year, but for him, it was terrible. Oscar Dansk, he barely played in North America last year, coming over only for, like, what, the last two weeks? And now both are expected to lead this expansion team and provide competitive hockey. And so far, it's gone well. I mean, Oscar Dansk really only had one start so far so if we're talking about small sample size for Malcolm Subban then it's really small sample sizes for Oscar Dansk but you can't really complain too much when in his first start he gives you a quality start I mean what could you possibly complain about there it's like hey another good start for this kid I mean Dave Pryor is really gonna start earning himself a reputation if he keeps this up, that is somewhat akin to Benoit Lair over with the New York Rangers. I mean, to get Maxime Legasse, Oscar Dance, Malcolm Subban, goalies who 
haven't shown anything at the N in the NHL prior to this is just incredible so far, and he deserves credit. I mean, will the floor fall out from underneath the Vegas Golden Knights with their goaltending? Probably. I. It's hard to imagine that Oscar Dansk and Maxime Legasse and maybe even Malcolm Subban are going to be able to keep up this stellar play consistently for such a long time. It just... It would be unrealistic to assume so, but you know, that's sports for you. The unrealistic does happen. For all we know, one of these three goalies is going to just come out and show themselves, you know, have a have a miracle year and really set themselves up for the future. I mean, Vegas took on all these reclamation projects because they knew this year didn't really matter too much, you know. They built a roster that wasn't made to witness Stanley Cup. Maybe if they get lucky through good coaching and just solid team play, they end up as a playoffs hopeful. But, you know, when you look at that roster, the first thing you think is oh, yeah, that's probably going to end up somewhere in the bottom five. But, hey, I mean, they're winning lots of games. They're having lots of fun. And good for the Vegas fans. Sets a good example. You know, it. as a Colorado fan, you learn to just, especially after last season, you learn to just enjoy the wins when they happen. Who cares about the future? Your team is winning. The games are exciting. The players are playing well. You just enjoy the wins because... Who knows? You have no control of what happens in the future. Yes, as a fan, you can recognize this might be unsustainable. Just enjoy it for now. When it comes to being unsustainable, you're like, all right, yeah, I saw this coming. So, you know, the disappointment isn't huge. So, yeah. <laughs> Let's uh, move on now to the NWHL. And more specifically the series between the NWHL and Russia. Uh, last year, Russia did the rounds in the NWHL where they went 2-3. and three. Uh, This year, they played six games and went 6-0. and oh. I mean, they pretty much rolled over everybody, not named the Boston Pride. And even the Boston Pride could barely stand up to them in the second game. So... <sighs> What does this show for Russia? Does this mean, hey, you know, they're climbing back up top? Kind of, but not really. Uh, other than the Boston Pride, really, the Whale, the Riveters, and the Buttes are, especially without their Olympic players, they just can't really compete with actual Olympians, even if they're young ones that are on a Russian team. So while it's great to see and it's important to see Russia to have success, you don't want to start raising expectations exponentially to a level where it's just impossible for Russia to get. I mean, these are talented players on Russia, and they showed it winning six games. And it wasn't an easy schedule either. They had to come all the way over from Russia to the U.S., six games in ten days. Uh, along with practices and morning skates and all the like, that's that's a hard schedule for anybody, especially coming from overseas. So to see Russia have the success is important. And it's also important because they're going to need goaltending in the Olympics. 
in women's hockey, especially now, if you're a nation not named Canada and not named the U.S., goaltending is vitally important. I mean, just look at the last Olympics in 2014, where the Swiss won their first bronze medal. And who came away with a lot of awards? Their goaltender, Florence Schelling, came away with the Olympic MVP, the top goalie award, and then being named to the media all-star team. So that kind of raises the bar for what you need to expect from a goalie to come in and uh, help their team. Now, I don't expect uh, another goalie to perform like that. I mean, that's that's a high standard to reach. And Florence Schelling is the only goalie to have reached that. And that's just incredible. So we need to look at Russia and we need to think to ourselves, are any of these goalies capable, maybe not of getting uh, all three of those awards, but maybe pushing for it by pushing their team far enough into the Olympics that they give, you know, one of the top two nations a scare and get into the bronze medal game and win. So Russia brought three goalies over for this. They brought uh, Nadasha Morozov, uh, Maria Sorokina and Valerie Tarkanova. Now, Morozova, you kind of know of. Uh, she was the goalie who went head to head with Miri Reisinen back in 2016 to help Russia win the bronze medal. That game went to a shootout where Russia won, won nothing. Uh, that kind of sets quite the standard right there because. I mean, as a young goalie, you're going up against, you know, the goalie who was just killing it at the time. And currently, Morozova is only 20 years old. By the time the Olympics hit, she'll be 21. And Morozova, she's kind of that Lauren Dom type goalie where she's got a, she's not exactly super tall, but she's got a massive frame. I mean... This is a girl that knows her size and knows how to use it. And that's important because, you know, if you don't play to your size or above it, then you're playing small and you're offering up more opportunities. So at the young age of 20 years old, she already has a world championship bronze medal. And she just showed how good she was in the... uh, NWHL series and looking at her stats right now uh, she's currently killing it in her four games played in the Russia Women's Hockey League with a .942 save percentage I mean could we be seeing uh, Russia finally get that goalie that they've always wanted to help bridge the gap between them and the top nation you know someone to steal games and at the young age of 20 as well that would be incredible Russia would be set for so many years. <laughs> uh, they've been looking for that type of goalie in both men's and women's for a long time. And, you know, now it looks like they kind of have that goalie in Sergei Bobrovsky. And hopefully the women's team has finally found it because you know they've been looking for it. You, they know how important goaltending is to help bridge the gap. If you can have a goalie who can keep the Americans or Canadians from scoring 
a crap load of goals, you have a chance. I mean, Noah Ratu showed that last year. All you need is to stop a certain amount of goals, play really well. Maybe the other team has an off game, but it doesn't matter. Because you take advantage of that and you score more goals, you win, you upset them. Oh my goodness. And I'm sure Morozova, if she gets the chance, she'd love to repeat what Kim Martin did in 2006 and knock out one of the big two in the semifinals, sending Russia to their first ever gold medal game at the Olympics. Now, in the uh, NWHL series, it was a bit of an up-and-down affair. She started out with a .895 save percentage, then it dropped to a .813. But then in her last game, she shut out the Boston Pride. I mean, that's just incredible. So she left the series with an overall save percentage of .907. Not great, but she picked it up at the end. And she's a young goalie who just came over. So it's hard to, you know, say anything. And I didn't watch the games, which I know is unfortunate. But hopefully this is the start of something. She'll go back to Russia and start killing it once again there. Uh, the other goalie is one that I think everyone knows a lot about. And that's Maria Sorokina. She was originally registered for the CWHL draft. It was taken by uh, the Markham Thunder, but you know didn't show up, didn't talk with them at all. You know, my personal feeling is she thought she was going to go to one of the Chinese teams and get one of those you know nice paychecks and everything like that. But obviously that didn't happen, so she ended up back in the women's hockey league. She's only played one game so far there, posted a .913 save percentage, which is good. I mean, the year before that though, she posted a point nine two six and I mean she's only twenty two years old. Another young goalie. I mean Russia is just full of these young goalies because they're ready for the next generation to step up. I think we're gonna see Russia go pretty young this year. So if we don't see uh, star forward Ia Gavrilovov on the team, I, I honestly wouldn't be too surprised about that. Now Sorokina had a better series then uh, Morozova did. In her first game, she had a 0.9 save percentage, and second game, a 0.96 save percentage for an overall save percentage of 0.933. And that's pretty, obviously, darn good. And uh, the game's played also shows how the Russian coaching staff is feeling because this is pretty much their first audition to make the team. Russia doesn't centralize no other women's team centralizes except for the two North American teams so this is one of the chances that they can get in front of the Russian coaching staff and show what they can do and receive feedback you know personally and through how many games they get so then they can figure out you know where they are in the uh, totem pole and hopefully make their way up or you know secure their spot now, the last one is Valerie Tarkanova. She only played one game, but it was a good one game, posting a .926 save percentage. I mean, what can you really do there? That's just a good game from a goalie. And yeah, now she's the youngest goalie and maybe the most interesting goalie out of the three of them because she's only 19 years old. And she turned 19 this year. 
So she's still going to be 19 when she gets, if she gets, to the Olympics. And she's also had a good start to this season. She had a good season last year in the Russian Women's Hockey League. Last year, she had a .916 save percentage. This year, she's out to a pretty darn good start at .922. And the you know most interesting thing about Valerie Terracanova is she's 6 feet 192 pounds. That's NHL goalie size. That's about an average NHL goalie or a little bit below that. I mean, she's pretty much where uh, CWHL, if I'm allowed to, or sorry, CHL goalies, you know, the ones who are about to be drafted or are in their last year of CHL eligibility, those are where the, those goalies want to end up, and she's already there at 19. At six, 6 feet 192, she's not only tall, she's filled out. She's pretty much a grown woman. She could go toted. I mean, if her and Spooner ever collided, and if, you know, Tara Canova was wearing player equipment, I'd put money on Tara Canova coming out on the uh, good side of that exchange. Because that is just a solid goalie. I mean, it's an interesting composition that Russia has in their goal. I mean, you got the solid but not super tall Morozova. You have more of the smaller but typical goalie. And Sorokina, who is that, you know, athletic type. And then you have Valerie Tarakanova, who's just, you know, what teams are hoping will turn into just a monster net because of size and skill. I mean, size, if you listen to Mitch Korn, he'll tell you, I mean, 90% of the shots you'll save are because of your skill. But 10% are because of how big you are. And the puck just hits you because of deflections or screens or whatever. So she's one to keep an eye out for. Hopefully we see something from her. I'd love to watch her play in the Olympics. I think it'd be interesting. But I mean, she's only 19, so we're going to see her around for a lot longer. This isn't a goalie who's stormed onto the stage at 28 years old. And we maybe only have... A couple years of her to see. No, this is someone we'll hopefully get to see for a while, and maybe rack up some awards because she already has an award. She has a bronze medal from the World Junior Championships, the U18s, from uh, from 2015, and the year after that, where she was still eligible for the U18s, she won MVP of the whole tournament along with top three player on our team. And, of course, when they won the bronze medal, she won best goal turn all-star team. So she's one of those up-and-coming goalies that we're really going to have to keep an eye on. And it's fun because we don't want to get talking about, you know, prospects in women's hockey because the leagues are so obscure that it's hard to know where these people are coming from. Whereas in men's hockey, you know, we know who's coming through the Russian system. We know who's coming through the Finnish and the Swedish systems. I mean, we even know who's... I mean, we have the CHL, like I said. We know exactly who's coming up there. But we don't in women's hockey. I mean, we get the U18s, and other than that, it's kind of like, well, you know, we'll see if any young kid makes it uh, onto their world, respective world championship team and makes an impact there. Then that'll be someone to keep an eye out for. And by that point, they're not really a prospect. They're more or less, you know, a young player looking to make their mark or, 
you know, grow into a star. So moving on now, we'll go to maybe one of the most head-scratching moves of the year so far. And yes, this is more head-scratching than waving Calvin Pickard. And it's claiming Auntie Miami off waivers. I mean, it's not completely head-scratching because it's like, yeah, Luongo's injured. Obviously, Florida might know something that we don't, that it might be a serious injury, so they want to back up. But if it's a serious injury, and you want a solid backup, and you want to compete for the playoffs, because you know Dale Talon wants to compete for the playoffs. He's not a guy that's really content with losing. Then why would you pick up Auntie Niami? Trade for somebody. Trade for Andrew Hammond, Michael Hutchinson, Calvin Beckard. Grab him out of Toronto because they're not using him right now. But if you just want someone to sit on the bench, you have Harry Satari. He's 27 years old. He's not a young, bright prospect that you can that you want to have multiple starts in the AHL. No, he's 27 years old. He's been playing pro hockey for a while. What he is is what he is right now, and that's an NHL AHL tweener. If you want someone to sit on the bench and just back up Reimer just in case, you know, he has one of his yearly injuries, then just sit Satari behind him. And if it really comes down to it, then trade for a goalie. But grabbing the Emmy off waivers for what purpose exactly? Because you think he might he might have something left? Because you're getting the band back together down in Florida? No, that's just a head scratching moment. And the uh, empathetic side of me says, you know, good good for Niemi. It's good to see him land somewhere. But the other side of me says, why, Florida? I mean, what are you possibly going to gain out of this? You might not lose anything, except for a couple games that Niemi actually has to play, but why did you have to grab him? I mean, is Satari really that much worse could you really get worse than how Niemi has played this year? I mean, he's fallen off a cliff. It hurts to say that, but I don't know. It's just an odd move. Now, what's happening is Pittsburgh. Well, Pittsburgh has called up Casey DeSmith, who had a good year with Wilkes-Barre last year on an AHL contract, earned himself an NHL contract in the offseason, and now gets called up to back up Matt Murray. And that's an incredible story. Obviously, I think uh, it was a little surprising at first that they didn't bring up Tristan Jari. But you have to think, you know, Jari's still their other star prospect. Now that Murray's graduated, Jari's next on the list of star prospects. And they want him to have more games down the AHL, which he definitely will. So bringing up Casey DeSmith, you know, to reward him, say, you not only get a contract, but now you get to back up Matt Murray and... Make NHL money. Two bonuses. And he'll probably get some, a couple games in because you cannot just run a goalie for 80-plus games. Or even 70-plus games anymore. Because consistency will drop. And you don't want that to happen. Now, will they stick with Casey DeSmith? That's a good question. And they'll stick with DeSmith for as long as DeSmith forces them to. If the Smith plays well in the backup role, if he forces them to keep them on the keep him on the roster, 
and they don't need to trade for anybody. They can keep with the four goalies that they have currently in the NHL, on NHL contracts, and they don't need to worry about anything else, which is, you know, obviously great for Pittsburgh. We'll see if that happens, and if it doesn't, well, then we'll see them make a move, because last year showed, you know, goalie depth really is important when it comes to the playoffs, so then if you lose your number one, hopefully your number two can give you... Enough wins, enough time to get your starting goalie back so you can win. So let's now move towards the CWHL. And it's had its, you know, kind of like opening weekends, I like to say, because unlike the AHL or NHL, wherever they don't usually have all their teams play their first games on one weekend. No, it's kind of spread out. I mean, Kunlun and Vanke are going to have to wait a while for their opening weekends back in China. But to start off, Sonia Vanderblijk takes the starting role and CWHL Goalie of the Week in the first week. And I gotta say, I'm right so far. That's right. I'm right so far on her. She could utterly blow up and prove me disastrously wrong in the last part of the season. But so far, I'm feeling pretty good about having confidence in her. And this has to be a huge confidence boost to her because she went up against the Markham Thunder and came out with two quality games. None of those lost. That the loss on the first game was definitely not because of her. She played outstanding. It, it was a beautiful performance because of how she provided, you know, Almost, she almost killed every Markham opportunity they had as soon as they took a shot on net. When Markham took that first shot on net when they got into the zone, Vanderblyke would pretty much end that opportunity. She wouldn't allow them to continually uh, take pot shots at her or give them big opportunities or dangerous rebounds. She would either get possession of it or put it in the corner. And that helps her team reset because Toronto right now is looking like they obviously are missing their top pairing defenseman. But, I mean, they showed up the next game and beat Markham, so what really more could you ask of them? So it, it'll be interesting to watch Vanderblyke, but she's off to a good start. And like I always say, having a good start is better than having a bad start. If you're going to have a type of start, have a good start. And Sandra Vanderblyk is doing that and earning herself a little bit of uh, recognition for being a starting goalie and hopefully she keeps this up and everyone's like yeah we lost Christina Kessler but hey we got Vanderblake in that so it's all good the CWHL also saw Nora Ratu a top two goalie in women's hockey make her CWHL debut and whew, was it ever a debut I gotta say as soon as you watched one two periods of her play it's uh, the the contrast between her and pretty much every other goalie in the CWHL is pretty big deal. It's like, uh, wow, is she ever good? And the thing is, she's only gonna get better. She admitted, she said that she's still adjusting to uh, the CWHL. And so, if what we saw on the weekend was her at good 
or 90%, but not, you know, amazing, then what will it be like if and when, not if, but when she gets up to 100%? Would the rest of the league stand a chance at scoring a goal on her? I mean, it's absolutely incredible. And all she really has to do is just focus on her rebound control because that's where it's kind of off right now is her rebound control and she'll admit it herself and I have it in front of me you know that her rebound control wasn't spectacular but yeah, it wasn't terrible wasn't spectacular kind of in that average to slightly above average range but you know she'll she's gonna improve on that and you know once she does Kunlun is gonna be a terrible team to play against now another goalie who deserves a lot of recognition is Erica Howe you know, before the season started, I said that if Markham wants to see any success, Erica Howe needs to be a top three goalie. That now is the time for her to break out as a top three goalie, find her consistency, find her game, and be the dominant goalie she can be. She's a high-end goalie. She can play in the World Championships or the Olympics. She's that good. But she needs to find her consistency first. And so far, she's off to one hell of a start. Two shutouts in a row to start with one coming against Kunlun in 45 saves. 45 out of 45. That's just incredible. And certainly sets her forward as a top three CWHL goalie with Mashmeyer and Rat 2. If Markham is finally going to reach that, you know, spot where they can finally say yes we are an actual contender and we're going to make it to the final Erica Howe is going to need to play like this of course she's going to let it go sooner or later it just happens going to be on a weird bounce or just an amazing shot that very few can save but for right now she's showing that she can give Markham a chance and if she keeps this up we could see Markham reach the Clarkson Cup and we've kind of been waiting for that for the past two years. I mean, we saw Tyler Fiennes come in in his first year, and then, you know, Brampton slash Markham took a big step, kind of pushed for that spot. But then they lost to Calgary in the playoffs, and Calgary went on to win. And then last year, they struggled at the start, found their game near the end of the season, and then just dropped a deuce against Montreal. So now, you know, they're back at it again. And maybe because it's an Olympic year, they can build up some more confidence. So by the time it gets to the playoffs, they'll have confidence. They'll have Erica Howe just being great. And they'll find themselves in. Of course, what we're all curious about is the playoff format. Because they have two new teams, which brings it up to seven, are they still going to run with the same... Uh, top four format or are they going to maybe add in a new team maybe have kind of a wild card thing who knows they might have announced it and I just missed it in which case I'll be very disappointed but uh, if you do know feel free to correct me and before we leave the CWHL topic I do want to bring up one more goalie and it's another Markham goalie 
and it's Liznox. And she's kind of turning into one of those, you know, favorite goalies I like to watch because of her passion for the game. Now, she's obviously not the best CWHL goalie out there. Uh, I'm not going to put a number on it because you know, she just followed me on Twitter, so I don't want to uh, make myself look like an ass, pretty much. But uh, she is just fantastic to watch. I just love watching goalies who are a bit passionate because that's the way I do play. You know, a little bit of heart on the sleeve. Maybe it's not the best idea at times. But, you know, it, it showing that passion, showing that you're not going to really back down from whatever, I like that. It kind of sticks to your mind. I mean, and, and Liz Knox, she just doesn't show passion on the ice. When she's on the bench, too, you can hear the announcer saying, eh, there goes Liz Knox yelling at somebody. <laughs> or being very exuberant on the bench. And that's something that, you know, players can feed off of. And Liz Knox always turns it into a positive. She doesn't whine or complain. She doesn't, you know, do anything silly or pout in a corner or anything like that. No, it's it's a type of positive passion that a team can feed off of and win. And that's a little bit of what happened against Colette. I mean, she went up against Nora Ratu and won. And it wasn't like it was a 7-6 affair either. It was a 2-1 win. And Markham came from behind. Cumberland scored the first goal, and then Markham comes back, scores to tie it up, and then they score again. And then Liznox has to hold on tight, and, oh, does she ever hold on tight to that net? Because Cumberland crashed it hard. I'm honestly not surprised Liznox, we did not see her come up and start swinging either with her blocker or a stick or whatever picked up a body and just started swinging it around to clear out the crease because man Cumberland was they wanted that tying goal and they were willing to put both the puck and Knox into the net and she wasn't having any of it and hell imagine having the pressure of winning two to one and then the other team gets a penalty shot and they pick one of their best players too and then stopping it I mean Liz Knox like I said not the best CWHL goalie, but man, she really is, at the very least, a very awesome backup. And, you know, it's kind of exciting to see, especially if you're a Markham fan, to see that your two goalies, all four games that they played in, have all been quality starts. That's important because now you know you have two goalies you can trust. You have Erica Howell and Liz Knox both just absolutely crushing it to start the season. Of course, will it last? Who knows? But for right now, we're going to enjoy the ride. Hope they can build on it and keep on going. Now, we're going to turn our attention to the CHL and specifically the upcoming Russia-Canada CIBC series, which is, of course, the World Junior Prep series where Russia comes to Canada and plays six games, two against each league. I mean, it's a grueling affair, but it's fun to watch because it really is a good opportunity 
to see, you know, maybe Russian players that we no, don't normally get to see. And we get to see goalies and players from these leagues, from the CHL leagues, play against a high-level competition. Because whenever you get into an international competition, the skill level always goes up because it's always the elite players from each country. And there's usually not that much of a drop in talent, which makes them so exciting. So, if you haven't seen the announcements, it's Carter Hart and Stuart Skinner for Team WHL, uh, Matthew Pallotta, Michael DiPietro, Jacob Ingham, and Dylan Wells for Team Ontario, or Team OHL. And then it's Evan Fitzpatrick and Samuel Harvey for Team QMJHL. Now, out of the 10, no, sorry, 8 goalie selections, none of them are surprising except for Samuel Harvey. But that's mostly because I didn't really expect them to grab a goalie that doesn't really have that Hockey Canada connection. I mean, every goalie on this list has been a part of either the Hockey Canada or, you know, it's really proven themselves in a way or been drafted or will be drafted. But Sam Harvey, he's about to hit his draft year plus two. He's undrafted. But he still made the team, which is great because... I mean, he's had a really good start to the season. He's been one of the top QMJHL goalies this year. Now, how good has he been? Well, let's take a quick look at the stats. So Samuel Harvey has 10 starts, sorry, 11 starts and 11 games played. Uh, currently sporting a... 1.384 goal saved above average per 60. Well, actually, we can even do any better because it's QMJHL stats. We can go to prospectstats.com, which always has fantastic stuff. Yeah, so they have Samuel Harvey there at a 0.84 adjusted uh, goal saved above average per 30. That's per 30 shots with a overall, I mean, he's second so far and adjusted goal saved above average with a .857. That's almost double number three on the list in Colton Ellis, who has been fantastic so far to start the year. Whew. And more importantly for Samuel Harvey, he's had 10 quality starts. 10 out of 11. .909 quality start percentage to start the year. The only other goalie who's close is Antoine Samuel and Bay Como, who's had 8 out of 9 quality starts for .889. And Antoine Samuel's an overager, so, I mean, a bit of a year difference there. But Samuel Harvey, he has absolutely earned this spot on the team. Now, is Hockey Canada's going to seriously look at him? Probably not. Even if he crushes it versus Russia in one of these games, they have their favorites, and it's so hard to break into it when looking at all the other goalies on the team. When you look at Carter Hart, who is the best CWHL goalie, and then you have Michael DiPietro, who is currently the best OHL goalie, and currently the best CHL goalie since Carter Hart is out with an injury. So, it's... It'll be very, very difficult for Samuel Harvey to make the team. 
but I'm happy for him that he's earned this, and he is most certainly earned. This is not Hockey Canada throwing him a bone. This is Hockey Canada looking at him and saying, man, he's had a really good year. We need to bring this kid because he's just been fantastic so far. Now, something to watch out for is with Team WHL, and that's Carter Hart, who has been out with Mono. And that's hard to come back from. So even if he does come back, will he still be able to play in that game? I mean, depending on how he plays with Everett, do they still, I mean, they'll still bring him. But if he doesn't, where does that leave the WHL in terms of goalies? Well, I think the first goalie that you'll want to look at bringing in is Griffin Outhouse. In terms of starts to the season, I mean, he's had one of the best, if not the best, start to this season among WHL goalies. The guy's been a step and a half above everybody so far this year. I mean, just just watching his stats go up is incredible. It's like, oh, now the quality start for Griffin Outhouse. Oh, another big game for Griffin Outhouse. He's currently sitting atop the WHL goal shades above average with 11.016 and then below him is Logan Flodell at point at 7.603 Griffin Outhouse so far is the only goalie that is uh, averaging one goal saved above average per 60 no one else has a, a plus one or yeah has a plus one in goal saved above average per 60. At least, you know, those with a certain amount of starts. So Griffin Outhouse absolutely deserves the spot if Carter Hart can't go. And I think it'll be interesting to watch Outhouse play because against the Russian shooters who are going to be very good and test Outhouse's style of play because... He's definitely an average at best, maybe a little below average size goalie who, at least in my opinion, plays a bit small, which is why NHL teams haven't exactly been super excited to get on him and take him. The kid has a lot of talent, though. He has a lot of talent, but it's just he, he plays small. And that's hard to deal with when you're an NHL team. If you have a goalie playing small in junior, how is that going to go over once he reaches the pros where the shooters get a lot better again? But that's not the point right now. The point right now is who's next in line? And for me, that's Griffin Outhouse. After Griffin Outhouse, I don't know. <laughs> Take a take probably they'd probably bring in Ian Scott who's having a decent start to the season despite you know only having three games played due to an injury to himself, but that's what you want to see out of Ian Scott, who last year didn't have a good year off to a good start this year. Maybe they reward him because he does have that Hockey Canada connection. He was the starter last year for Hockey Canada at the U18s. Moving over to the OHL, really no surprises there except for maybe Jacob Ingham. 
and I'm happy to see Matthew Vellata there. I'm also a little unhappy that uh, having four goalies for two games means either two of the goalies aren't going to see games, or they're only going to get half a game. And with only 30 minutes, I mean, what can you really do in 30 minutes as a goalie? It's it's really a flip of the coin. Uh, you you want a full game to show that you know you can adjust. Say Russia comes out strong, you let in a goal or two early. You want that time to be able to adjust and then show that you can shut it down for the rest of the game. Be like, hey, yeah, you know, this is my first time playing against an international team like this, but look how well I adjusted. And that's what I like seeing goalies do. And currently, it doesn't look like that might happen because even if. They go with, okay, you get the full 60 games. We know who's the starter that's going to be for uh, the Velada Di Pietro team. It's going to be Di Pietro. And Di Pietro has obviously deserved it. Uh, he's just been incredible so far to start the year. I mean, Windsor was supposed to be bad, and I didn't expect you know Di Pietro to be this good. I expected him and wanted him to show that he could handle the additional workload that even though Windsor had lost a lot of players, that he was still going to succeed. And he's exceeded my expectations so far. But the thing to look up for DiPietro is how he ends the year. Because last year he started out really hot and then tailed off towards the end. Will he do better this year? I hope so, because I love to watch the kid. He's a lot of fun to play. And then, of course, the other tandem is Wells and Ingham. The reason I'm surprised to see Ingham is because he's gotten off, and the whole team has gone off to a terrible start in Mississauga. I mean, it's it's just been rough there. And like I said in one of my last podcast episodes, uh, the 2018, the top of the 2018 goalie class has been just struggling so far to start the year. And Ingham has been a part of that struggling, but yeah, he's been with Hockey Canada. For a year or so now and they know he has the talent it's just a matter of him putting it together and finally getting consistency in his game of course if they go with the you start the game you end the game it'll be Dylan Wells who absolutely deserves it I really enjoyed Dylan Wells play in the summer series the summer tournament that was a lot of fun now, if you haven't seen, the Russians have announced their roster, and here are the goalies they are bringing. They're bringing Mikhail Berdan, uh, Vladislav Sukhachev, and Alexei Melnichuk. Now, Mikhail Berdan is the only drafted goalie on this list. Uh, he's a Winnipeg Jets draft pick who, play, who came over from Russia this past year to play in the USHL. He's currently in his second USHL season, but he's a very good goalie. And he was the second best goalie in the USHL behind uh, Mathis Kip Nikolic. And I just absolutely butchered his name. But uh, yeah, he finished second behind Mattis, who is currently now in the Columbus Blue Jackets system, playing it with the uh, Cleveland Monsters. So Berdan, I'm happy to see him there. I wasn't sure if they were going to bring him. But. I'm happy they are going to be using him because I really want to see him and see how 
you know, that USHL success transfers over into international play. Sukachev, we should all know from last year. And uh, he was a fun goalie to watch last year. From what I remember, he was definitely one of those, you know, quick goalies. He's obviously in the smaller size range at about 5'11". So he has to be quick. But he was successfully so. so which kind of shows that, going back to Griffin Outhouse, that uh, it would be interesting to see the two goalies go at it. Two five foot eleven goalies who both focus a lot on being quick in all their movements at this type of stage. And then the last one is Alexei Melnichuk. Uh, I honestly don't know a lot about him, unfortunately. He's about average size goalie, six one. Uh, this year he's played in every single Russian league. He's played in the KHL, he's played in the VHL, and he's played in the MHL. Uh, so far off to not a great start. Last year, he did great. Very good, actually, in both the VHL and MHL. This year, though, uh, I don't know if it's something to do with his team or maybe, you know, he's just struggling to get off to a good start. But currently in the VHL, he has a .891 save percentage. And in the MHL, .786. But obviously, you start to the season, small sample size. Hopefully, we'll get to see you know, him succeed at this level. Unless, of course, you're a fan of the CHL or Canada. You don't want it to succeed too much because that means that the teams are losing. <laughs> so we're going to now move to another international type play. And that's the current Canada-U.S. Pre-Olympic Series, which has wrapped up its two games and won't resume play until early December because of the Four Nations Tournament, which is going to take place in November. So there's really no point in playing more games there when they're already going to be playing each other. Uh, the first game was Matty Rooney versus Anne Rene Debian. And Matty Rooney obviously came out with the better game. I, I really enjoyed watching Matty Rooney play. She, she's definitely that uh, quick type goalie. Likes to be quick around the net, get in position quickly relies on her footwork and edge work a lot. She really liked to play the puck, which obviously didn't work out for her at one point when she decided to race uh, Megan Augusta to the puck and lost that race because she either went for the diving project way too soon or just tripped and fell, unfortunately. But it was a good game from her, and as a young goalie who's still in college, uh, it certainly helps her move up the totem pole to maybe securing either the backup spot or being in a position where one bad game or one average game from one of the other two goalies in the Olympics leads her to taking the starter position. And Anne-Renée Debian, it wasn't a great game from her. I don't think if you let in five goals, it's ever going to be a good game. It wasn't terrible, wasn't really bad. It was more of an average game where she just got abused on uh, those Royal Road passes, especially in close. I mean, the Americans were just completing those passes like it was nothing. The Canadian defense, I don't know what they were doing. They weren't defending. I mean, the Americans, four of their goals came off those type of plays, with the other one being a rebound off of one of those type of plays. So, <laughs> I mean, you think to yourself... You know, how much of this can you really put on Anne Renee Dubian? And not a whole lot, 
she's I mean she still showed a lot of talent she's an extremely smart goalie she's like Shannon Zabados if Shannon Zabados lost another step or so because Anna Renee Debian very good technical goalie likes to reads the play well efficient in moving her body around the net and she's obviously on the bigger side of goalies at five foot nine so she doesn't have to be super aggressive she knows she doesn't have to be super fast and you rarely see her panic like it was outstanding and sometimes a little bit frustrating because sometimes you want to see a goalie move really fast to get back into position but you know there's never a moment in that game where you could see Anne Renee Debian just lose her mind and go into scramble mode it was very good movements her being near perfect in that it was it was great to watch and I hope she's able to you know kind of get a game to bounce back in which might be hard because the next games are in you know the four nations tournament and they'll obviously want to run with Lacasse who was pretty darn good in Boston and of course the best goalie in the world Shannon Zabados which brings us to the question where is Zabados she was she, she's not even the third emergency goalie for either of the two games that we saw in Quebec and Boston. Uh, her only playing time, she played about 20 minutes or so in the very first game during the uh, midget AAA series that Canada undertook over in Alberta. No one's heard of her you know, status so far. She hasn't said anything, which, I mean, I don't think she's allowed to, even if she wanted to or could. So, I mean, as a Canadian hockey fan, you get a little worried because you know how good Shannon Zabos is. And while, yes, Canada has some pretty talented goalies, none are at her level. I mean, uh, it's hard to imagine Canada having, being anywhere close to the favorite without Shannon Zabados in that. I mean, what she provides is outstanding goaltending and leadership I mean she's been through two Olympics she knows how to win she's the best goalie currently of all time in women's hockey to lose that before going into the Olympics would be devastating all we know is from what TSN said during the Boston game and that was Shana Zabados is under the weather so whatever the hell that means, hopefully it's not serious. Now, we'll also talk about the Boston game a bit. Uh, Maddie, sorry, not Maddie Rooney, but Nicole Hensley, the American starter, kind of like standout breakout uh, from last year's World Championships. She kind of had the same fate as Anne Renee Debian. She had a good game and where, you know, when the shots were savable, she made the saves and she made decent saves on them. But she just got abused on those royal road passes. Especially, you know, that since they were coming in close. It's a little bit easier as a goalie if they're coming from, say, maybe a medium danger area or the low danger area. When they're coming from the high danger area, in close, across crease, those things are really difficult to stop. Not nearly impossible, but just very difficult. 
and just like Debian, she couldn't really stop him. It's hard to really blame her though. I mean, what else could you possibly want? Canada found their game and the US lost theirs. All in the span of two days. Such a weird rivalry between the two teams where they're capable of being bad in their first meeting, but then in the second meeting all of a sudden it turns around on its head. I mean, you think one team has the edge and the rivalry, but then all of a sudden they don't. It's weird. But at the other end, Genevieve Lacasse, I mean, it's the perfect steady game that you could possibly want from her. Uh, I mean, it's what you expect from Lacasse at this point, and she delivered. I mean, if you want a goalie to go in there, and if you have decent enough defense, doesn't have to be great, average to above average defense, then she'll be stellar. And she was. And she made some pretty big saves as well. I mean, she's a little bit more of a hybrid of uh, quickness and technical ability. Her footwork is her main strength and how she gets herself in position and moves around the net. Not so great on her knees, but when she's on her feet, she's just fantastic. And she showed it in this game. I mean, that's what you want out of Genevieve Lacasse. And when you get that, you have a really good chance at winning. And she's doing well to kind of say, hey, if Zavados is not going to play, y'all got me. So she's off to a good start, and that's exactly what you want to see. Now, come Four Nations, that'll be the really big test. Because Genevieve Lacasse hasn't been the starter for really any of Canada's tournaments in a while. So putting her in that starting role and saying, you know, this is your chance to run with it. If you do well here, you will be the backup behind Zabados. And then if Zabados, you know, either falters or is still injured, then, hey, our Olympic hopes rest on you. No pressure. Now, the last thing I want to bring up and the last topic of the day is something Corey Crawford said recently, and I'm going to find it real, well, hopefully real quickly, depending on how quick my uh, computer wants to run. Here we go. So uh, this is directly from Corey Crawford off of uh, Mark Lazarus, who is a uh, Chicago beat writer for the Chicago Sun-Times. So here we go. As far as save percentage and stuff, for us, it's always about wins. It's always about wins. If your team's winning, the stats will be there. I mean, it doesn't hurt, but there's a reason why there's never an award for save percentage. Because it's not accurate. It's not like an assist. It's not like a goal. It's not as easy to track as those stats, right? They can always go back and say, oh, he touched it. That's his goal. They're not going to go back on every shot. There are shots to skim off you and go wide, and they don't see it. There are some ranks where you get way more shots than you should. There are some rings that blow up shots for their own team. That's kind of like a gray area stat. It's close, but it's not accurate. It's nice. It's nice to be up there. That's a good indication that we're winning. That So that's a good sign. But it doesn't tell you everything. I find that, uh, of course, it has an interesting perspective. But also as an important look at 
what the mind frame he's or yeah the frame of mind that Crawford's in you know once you get that high it's the results that matter and hockey in any sport really is a result-based business or sport or whatever you want to call it at the end of the day you want to win at the end of the day the goal is to have the championship whatever the hell the championship is whatever the hell sport you're playing in at the end of the day you want to win that and of course that's for competitive sports but hey I mean even rec sports can get pretty competitive I've heard stories trust me and you've probably heard stories and probably been a part of them yourselves but at the end of the day it's all about results and Crawford's not completely wrong on uh, how inaccurate save percentage can be and how important wins are not completely wrong but still for us the fans scouts general managers goalie coaches and you know what even the goalies themselves well wins are important wins are the goal what's also just as important is the process you can't be a winning goalie if the process isn't there you can't be a winning goalie if you haven't improved enough if you aren't focused on things that lead to wins it's I mean the simplest way you can say it is a plus B equals C with C being wins you know you put certain things together and you'll end up with a win but kind of what Crawford is saying is that you, so with the process and that's kind of what I'm focused on with the type of uh, analytics analytics that I'm doing is looking at the process and seeing which goalies if you put on a certain team will give you wins because hockey is a team sport and it's not basketball where you can have one guy absolutely racked up tons of points because he can play a whole game it's a team sport and a goalie statistically can only give you a 75% chance of winning you can have the best goalie in net but he can only at most give you 75% chance at winning a game because eventually I mean you have to score goals a goalie can't skate up the ice and score goal I mean we can fire pucks down from our own end but uh, if the other goalie lets them in then that other goalie either probably should not be in the league at that point or he just had a really unlucky bounce so something when you're looking at how these players talk about it is especially if you're a young goalie yes wins are important if you win a lot good for you I hope you're having a lot of fun I hope you are we should also be mindful of the process of how you got there and of how you're going to get there at the next level and then the level after that and so on and so forth even the goalies at the NHL level you know, their goalie coaches are taking them through a process mentally, physically, through the technical stuff. It's all there. It's all a process. So while Corey Crawford says he doesn't really care about save percentage, and, you know, it's it's a nice stat. It's something that I can say, hey, I'm topping this. Where's my sticker? The important part is, is that whatever process he's going through is working. And his team is benefiting from it, 
and winning games. So, I mean, this is, it's hard to try and say, you, the NHLer, you're wrong. You know, me, the guy at home, not playing in the NHL, I'm right, you're wrong. And it's kind of a case of, he's right to a certain point where the result is important. And yes, the idea is, you know, you save enough pucks, your team is going to win. But that doesn't always happen. And I think a good example is probably Stefan Dillon from the OHL last year, where his team barely made playoffs, but he had one of the best quality start percentages of the league. But yeah, his team wasn't winning a lot of games. Because hockey is a team game. So Corey Crawford can say that winning, it's all about the wins. That's true. But it's a team game. And even as a goalie, if you're losing games, but you're still providing quality starts, very good play, giving your team a chance every single time, then that's important. And while it sucks not to win, you got to look at yourself and say the process is working. Maybe next year on a different team, if I keep up this process, keep it going, the wins will come. But if you are on a just a team that struggles with winning, they can't keep up with the competition, but then you're going to lose. It's just going to happen. It's Everyone has to do their part. And right now, everyone on the Chicago Blackhawks is. And Corey Crawford is playing probably the biggest part of all right now. But he doesn't get there without the process. And he doesn't get there without the team. The wins don't come without the teams. And the wins don't come without the process. And... You know, I also hate that he says that because now, you know, more casual fans might see it and say to themselves, aha, so I should be looking for goalies who win the most because those are the goalies that are the best. And it's, no, please don't judge a goalie by wins. It's cool to kind of see how many goalie or wins a goalie can get in their whole career, but using it as an evaluator at really any level is not a great idea because you can win games at any level with an average goalie whereas a bad team with a really good goalie can lose games good goalies don't guarantee wins bad goalies or average goalies don't guarantee losses I mean that's the whole point and it's something you gotta be careful about especially when uh, reading these uh, quotes from you know goalies who have reached a high level play and not even NHL goalies could be an AHL goalie an ECHL goalie a goalie in the CHL goalie in the CWHL I know that uh, Shannon Zabados doesn't even pay attention to the stats because when she read my uh, history project on women's hockey for the goalies she uh, said I don't even know what half these stats are but I'm glad I'm doing well in them because from her perspective, it's all about the result. You work hard for the result. And it's more on the focus of the goalie coaches and the GMs and the trainers to get her or Crawford there. 
but I think goalies should also be taking responsibility for the process. They should also be looking at themselves and saying, yes, we won the game. I'm happy we won, but how did I play? Did I, was I a part of this win or was I more along for the ride as a passenger? Can I do better next time? Can I make sure the win isn't as close? And it's also some look at, at it during a loss. It's like, yes, we lost. Did I play well? Was I really the reason that we lost? I mean, how big of a factor was I in this loss? If I do the same thing next game, will it result in a win? Yes? No? Maybe? That's something a goalie should always be asking themselves. Is the process working for me? Are these wins and losses are they coming because of me? Or am I just a passenger along for the ride for them? Uh, it's okay to look at your team and say, you know what? They're not the greatest. This is what I have to do. I mean, as a goalie, that's all about reading the play. That's all about reading your team and adjusting. Because you look at your team and you have to think to yourself, how can I play to make my team better? Should I be covering up the puck every time it comes to me because my team gets uh, <laughs> stuck in their own zone so often? Uh, how best can I play the puck? Uh, if I let out rebounds, will they be able to get there and stop them? Or if I let out a rebound, will my team pick it up and get it out? I mean, those are all questions a goalie should be asking. It's okay in your head to question your team and be like, what kind of team do I have here? What kind of results? What kind of expectations should I have of myself and them? Because if you put, if you look at your team and it's a bad team, and you think to yourself, "Yeah, this team is definitely going to win everything. We're going to be amazing. Not going to lose a single game." That should be the goal. But realistically, you have to look at it and say to yourself, "That might not be possible." So when it doesn't happen, I'm not going to, you know spiral into a world of hurt be competitive want to win don't beat yourself over it if you don't because the process is important and eventually the process will give results as a goalie if you want to improve yourself look at yourself that's, that's all you really have to do Look at yourself and, and be honest with yourself. Be honest with the team that you have. and Because that's the only way you're going to improve is if you're honest with yourself. And I've had a couple goalies uh, at all levels. Well, not all, all levels, but at a, quite a few levels. OHL, minor midget, Bantam, who want honesty because they want to improve themselves. They want to be like, even though I want... How did I actually play? Because if I didn't play well, if my team won in spite of me rather than because of me, I want to know that. And I want to know how I can improve that. I want to know where my weaknesses are. The best goalies will sit down and think to themselves, how can I improve? How can I get to C? How can A plus B equal C? Do I have A? Do I have B? And of course it gets more complicated than that. Do I have E, D, and all this other stuff? But you want to get that result. And you can only get that result via honesty from your 
coaches, from scouts, from whoever. If you come out of that dressing room and every time a parent or whatever says, you played an amazing game, obviously thank them for the compliment. But in your head, you got to ask yourself, how did I actually play? If you think that you played amazing every single game of the year, then you're lying to yourself. Don't do that. Be the best goalie you can be. Focus on the process and you'll get the result. You can't force the result. Focus on the process and you'll get there. And that's it for this podcast. Uh, Man, this is longer than I thought it would be because there's a lot of topics. I'm going to have to try and avoid that. Although this last topic was pretty close to my heart, I guess. Pretty passionate topic, so that's why it's gone on for so long. But thank you for listening. Hopefully you made it all the way through, and I'll see you on the next one.